We all know the importance of how we represent ourselves. The things we say and the things we do influence the people around us. It's all about the message we are sending, including the things that we wear. Christians can be more aware of the messages we bring to others in their clothing with Covenant Press. Covenant Press is a faith-based Christian apparel and accessory store that is fearfully and wonderfully made. If you want to wear the message of Christ and Christianity, then go to their website at covenant-press.com. That's www.covenant-press.com. For the next 24 hours, you will get 25% off the purchase of $50 or more using the discount code GROWTH at checkout. Sign up and become a member to receive points for future purchases. Again, that's covenant-press.com, www.covenant-press.com to get 25% off your purchase of $50 or more using discount code GROWTH at checkout. Tell your friends and family about covenant-press.com so we can all share the message. Welcome to Laquita's Toolbox, where we deliver relevant content in the form of tools that empower entrepreneurs to elevate personally and professionally. Good is only good until greater is envisioned. You know there's another level in you. Here we discuss the tools to get you there. Lean in as Laquita and her guests present you with strategies and insight for unlocking your full potential to realize your boldest dream. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Laquita's Toolbox. I am your host, Laquita Monley, and I am absolutely excited about today's episode for a number of different reasons. Um, well, let's just start with the first reason. Number one, because I've never had this particular topic of discussion on the show today. So I always like number one, celebrating number one. So you guys just take a minute and celebrate that with me, if you will. And while we're celebrating this number one on today, Get something to write with and something to write on, because those of you that follow the show know that it is absolutely imperative that pen and paper do not forget, and you don't want to miss any of these tools that my guest is going to share with us today. You know, in the studio, I have Ms. Vaughn Williams. She is the bias specialist, and that is a hot button topic today uh, that we're discussing, especially in the realms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and Ms. Williams is going to be, she is the very first guest that I've had on the show to speak about this topic. So hit those like, share, subscribe buttons on your favorite podcast listening platform. If you're a returning guest, thank you so much. If this is your first time, go ahead and hit that follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform so that you won't miss any episodes as they come out on a weekly basis. But without further ado, Ron, how are you today? And thank you so much for your patience and for being a guest on the show today. Uh, it's so lovely to be here, Laquita. Great to talk with you across the globe. Yes. Love technology, right? Absolutely. Yep. So please tell the guest where you're from and let them just marvel in technology for a minute because you're in my tomorrow and I'm in my today. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. We talked about that earlier. Uh, yeah, I'm in, in Melbourne, Australia. And a little heads up, it's Melbourne, not Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> so let, me get uh, my, let me get my American English right. Melbourne? Bun. 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 Yeah, Melbourne. For my American English, at least not in this episode. I'm going to try, though. I will try. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things us Aussies is um, uh, known for is shortening things and sort of swallowing our vowels. So even though it's spelt Melbourne, we say Melbourne. 
so we sort of swallow about Melbourne. three uh, three uh, letters there uh, in our name. So yeah, Melbourne, Australia. So sort of down there on the bottom of uh, mainland Australia. Born and raised here, so uh, through and through uh, Aussie. And uh, yeah, I I do love being able to uh, talk across the globe. And um, even though your listeners can't see me, I because they can't. Um, I'm a grey-haired person, so I am in what I lovingly call the last third of my life and I have a favourite phrase that says, you can teach an old dog new tricks because I tell you, I have learned so much in the last five years about technology, uh, using a variety of platforms, being able to talk across the globe like this um, in person in real time even though you're in my yesterday um, <laughs> is, you know was the thing of science fantasy when I was a child and now I'm living it and I just think that's wonderful. It is amazing isn't it you know the connectivity that we have because of not just the World Wide Web, but all of these amazing individuals who created these amazing apps and software that kind of bring us together as a global community it's pretty awesome and it really speaks to the necessity of our topic today and why diversity equity and inclusion is something that is such a big push because we are a global community and because we are a global community we have to come to a place where we realize different is different but different is not wall very much so one of the things that i have learned in the last few years as i've had to look at my own unconscious biases because there's no point in me talking about this from a purely academic point of view you know it has to come from my mm -hmm. own lived experience and ongoing lived experience is that somewhere along the line I realized that I had learned the difference was a threat you know I mm. grew up in a very monocultural part of Sydney um, Australia so you know very white conservative Bible Belt area um, of Sydney and everybody looked like me, sounded like me, thought like me. And then I had um, an opportunity to do something right outside of my comfort zone and that's when all of these unconscious biases started to make themselves felt. And mm. I realised that even though I hadn't deliberately or intentionally, I think, been taught the difference mm. was the threat, somewhere along the line I'd learned that. And what I've been able to do now that I realise that is to flip that on the head, it's head to see that difference is an asset, mm. which opens up a whole new world and possibilities. I love the way that you say that. Difference is not a threat, but difference can be an asset. And it is an asset. You know, today um, I'm, in, I'm in Texas and it's the southern part of the United States and it's right in the middle of our revival build. <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. And so um, as an African-American woman and a believer, I've had the opportunity and as a military spouse, let me put those together real quick. I've had the opportunity because of my husband's career to live in different places around the world. Three, well, America, UK and Germany and just travel Africa and some other places. Right. And through some hard learned lessons. I had to learn that different is different, not wrong. And yes. as you said, different can also, in most instances, be an asset because different gives me a totally different perspective, a totally different worldview from my own little sheltered worldview. Yes. And, and to, we were having a conversation then, my husband and I were having a conversation in our favorite little mom and pop spot. And on Tuesdays, they have a Bible study that goes on in there every Tuesday. And, Someone posed the question as to why something like Black Lives Matter was necessary, but viewed as evil within our faith. And I won't get into the details of that conversation. I'll probably save that for a lot because it's real juicy and I want to see the comments. But <laughs> this conversation was happening um, and it was, I will say, I'll, I'll borrow your terminology. It was some Caucasian men and women that were living in the best third last third of their life, right? And their point of view was being challenged by some of the members in their group who were a minority, whether Hispanic and African-American and Native Hawaiian. And that question was going on. And 
it's a really, I think it's a really good place for us to start because you, as you mentioned with you being uh, from the Bible Belt in your area, within our faith system, sometimes we're so locked in to that linear way of thinking that we harm ourselves more than we help ourselves in terms of reaching out to other people. So why is it so important um, that we acknowledge and address these biases, whether whether you're a believer or not? But I just thought that you know today's conversation we had at the at our favorite coffee shop really worked very well um, into what I knew you and I would be talking about today. Yeah. Look, you're so right. Bias shows no favorites. It's a human condition. It's part of how every human being thinks. I have um, my eldest granddaughter who's just turned 18. My youngest granddaughter is five. So my five-year-old granddaughter already has biases. She doesn't recognise it yet, mm. but she does. And it doesn't matter whether your skin is white, black, mm -hmm. or any shade in between. Right. It doesn't matter whether you, like me, you're a baby boomer or you're a millennial or a gen whatever letter. You know, it doesn't matter whether you grew up in the USA, Australia, in Nepal, in the far north Russia, in Finland, you know, wherever, a tiny Pacific island. We all have biases. It's part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, well, all, all our biases are formed early in life and they come from things like, you know, the input from our families because families like to tell us, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what's healthy. But they also tell us, oh, well, that person's a good person to mix with, but, oh, no, you shouldn't mix with those sorts of people. This is the right job for you. Oh, no, that, that job's not worthy of you. So we get all these messages from our family. We get them from our culture. Um, and certainly I see Christianity is, in a sense, a subculture within um, the broader different cultures in the world. And I certainly, you know, growing up in that, I had a lot of um, messages around you know, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a white woman, you know, all of so many different things. But then the media plays mm -hmm. a huge part. Oh, but yeah. even, you know, our friendship groups at school, and mm -hmm. um, you know, the sporting clubs we belong to, there's all of these externals that either overtly or covertly send us messages yes. and then reform biases, which are just ways of categorising people mm -hmm. and ideas but mm -hmm. one of the unfortunate um, side effects or consequences of bias is that often we well most of the time we privilege our own way you know it's my <laughs> way, my way. of course yeah. I've got it right you know um, <laughs> and for me you know I'm university educated I've got a you know I, I live in a developed country certainly I would know better than someone who grew up on a little island in the Pacific you know, it's those sorts of unconscious things mm -hmm. that elevate ourselves in our own position and thinking, and but we also denigrate others. Mm -hmm. And that's where bias can uh, start to become a real difficulty in relationships, but also in our decision making. Because when it comes to decisions, we often don't examine all of the options available to us. We just pick maybe the first or, or the second one you know, because our, our viewpoint is limited by our thinking. Yes. Oh, now, see, there's so many things we can unpack right there. <laughs> so many things. I believe that the fact that a large majority of our biases are unconscious is the reason that it's so hard for people. And then we'll talk about organizations along the way as well. But we'll, let's focus on the individual because we make up the organizations. It's yes. so hard for us to unpack it and deal with it because it's woven into the very fabric of who we are. And so now you're challenging me to change. You're challenging me to be different. You're challenging me and making me feel like you're saying I'm wrong and the way that I've been taught is wrong. And when in some instances, fair enough, it could be wrong. But in most instances, um, it is maybe you're not wrong, but you're not right either because the way that you feel and think as an individual from X background and the way that someone as an individual from Y background, you may have differences of opinions, but it's right for the individuals, if that makes sense. Yeah, and look, I like the fact that you've used these words right and wrong because so often we attach moral values 
to yes. our biases. Yes. And one of my goals is to actually like to normalise the conversation around bias and to remove any sense of judgment and guilt and shame yes. around it because bias is a human condition. It's part mm-hmm. of the human condition. It's part of how we all think. So we we often think of bias as we are judged for having biases. You know, somebody has pointed the finger at us and said, you're wrong, you're biased, and therefore you're bad. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe that bias has, has any moral value. Bias is not an emotion, but I say this about emotions too. Emotions don't have any moral value. There's no ethics necessarily around our unconscious ways of thinking. It's what we do with mm-hmm. those biases. Yes. The words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we do, and then, you know, thinking about institutions and organisations, the structures that we put in place or that we perpetuate or we allow to be perpetuated, mm-hmm. that's where we can go, this is not helpful. And I suppose even then I would prefer not to use words like bad or good or right and wrong because that's such like opposite ends of the you know the pendulum swing mm-hmm. because most of us like I'm I'm a white woman I have white privilege I just got that because that's how I was born mm-hmm. um, however that's the reality is that I mm-hmm. have a set of privileges purely because of the color of my skin and I'm not you know I'd be very honesty I'm not sure how I as an individual dismantle white privilege but I I can't as a you know assistant (laughs) at my own level which is all we what most of us can do is to own what the issue is and for me Mm -hmm. I have white privilege and then to be aware of either how can I use that to invite other people in who don't have the privilege that I have naturally because of the colour of my skin or how can I change the things that I can because of whatever position I might hold. So it's about looking at allowing our biases to inform our actions and making, because they do inform our actions, but doing that on a conscious or intentional level rather than in an unthinking and now, see, that's some more things that we can unpack. And you must have been listening to our conversation today. <laughs> you had to have been listening to our conversation today. Like, guys, if this was a vlog, a video, you would see me. I am so excited. Like, the smile on my face is beaming sunshine because this is so good to me. But <laughs> let's, let's take uh, just one moment here, if we can, in the conversation and take one pause. And let me thank our sponsors. Uh, I'd like to take this one moment and thank the, the sponsors of the Cletus Toolbox uh, podcast, and, and that is Covenant Press. Covenant Press is a faith-based uh, Christian apparel and accessory shop where um, individuals can go to that website and order Christian apparel and accessories that allow you to wear the message of the love of Jesus Christ. Go out to www.covenant-press.com and take a look at the amazing things that they have to offer there and make sure that you are paying attention to the pop-ups because they always have some amazing specials and you want to make sure you grab those codes so when you get to the checkout that you're able to apply the relevant discounts and receive a discount is when you're shopping there with Covenant Press. So thank you so much to Covenant Press uh, for your support of all things the Cleaver Toolbox. Jumping back into our conversation, take a minute if you could and unpack the definition of bias because you said something really good there in our last uh, segment. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's not moral or moral degradation, but bias is a way of thinking that we've developed over time. Can, so could you please, let's just take a minute for those that may not know. It's like, okay, Lakuta, y'all talking about something. It sounds interesting, but what do you mean by bias? Perhaps yeah. we challenge the you know their definition of what bias is. So if you could um, ex- uh, give us a definition of what bias is. Yeah, good. Thank you for asking that because it's very easy to assume that people know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, unconscious bias is, and I'll say what I've said before, it's simply part of the way that we think. It's one of the things that we do. Now, it 
what by an unconscious bias is, it's a way of thinking that generally privileges one way of thinking or idea or group of people over and above another group of people or a set of ideas and often to the detriment, that second group. And, you know, these biases, these ways of thinking um, get set in our thinking when we're young, before we have any cognitive ability to assess whether the messages that we've been perceiving are actually helpful or not. Mm. So very much in our growing up years as a child, even into our early early teens and the messages largely come from our families and then again this is not done with any sense of um, harm or harmful intent generally Mm -hmm. we do know that there are families that uh, teach you know quite intentionally teach racism Mm -hmm. you know we know but on the whole people don't do that it's the little well I'll give you a a funny example now I grew in a strongly Protestant family. And my sister and I both wanted to get our ears pierced when we were in teen, our teen years, as so many teenage girls want to. Yeah. My mother would not let us get our ears pierced because only Catholic girls get their ears pierced. Now that was, for my mum, that's her definite bias, was this Catholic Protestant divide, you know, if you were Protestants, she didn't mix with Catholics. You know, us Protestants, we had the we had the right grasp on faith. And it went right down through to, you know, I couldn't get my ears pierced. So that's a bias there. Mm. Now, my mum wasn't trying to be rude or nasty to Catholics. Like she was a generally pleasant, well-liked, lovely human being. For me, this that idea made absolutely no sense. You know, I, they were, I had Catholic friends at school, you know, and I couldn't see the connection between ears and things like that. But, see, that's a little bias. Yes. And it's just a passing comment. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realise how much of a bias that was until, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, and I was, I'm starting to look into this area and I go, oh, gosh, that is that's such an obvious thing. So it's these sorts of little comments mm-hmm. about what we believe is right and wrong. And I'm not talking about the big things like murder's wrong, mm-hmm. murder's across the globe, you know, but it's these little other little things that we attach a moral value to or some sort of sense of importance that in a sense, see, my mum was communicating that us as Protestants, as Protestants were better or we were right and mm-hmm. the Catholics were not mm-hmm. therefore yes. we were not allowed to have anything even as simple as pierced ears that would make people assume that we were Catholics because that would be a no-no so you know it's those little things that in the big scheme of things are not important but they do uh influence our interactions mm. with and as I said when it comes to our decision making if we've got these little unconscious ways of thinking Mm-hmm. That we don't examine, then we've got uh, we do have some real problems uh, yeah. with our decision making because what we do is we're limited by mm-hmm. to a certain set of choices. Yes, you know I love the fact that you uh, use that example because it really leads into um, the the next discussion because part of the discussion because oftentimes we look at bias and more so mix it with racism. Yes. Or sexism. And it's actually something that can happen within that particular group. Like within your group of Caucasian Christians, there was still a bias between different groups of Christians. But everyone's skin color is the same. You know, everyone's skin color is the same and everybody's worshiping the same Jesus. But the biases were there in place unconsciously. And that's that I really like uh, that you put that out because um, it helps people to understand that biases happen and it has, in a lot of instances, it has absolutely nothing to do with the color of your skin. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and I'm glad you mentioned that 
because racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, all the things that we see and rail against, you know, we, we want to change, they are outworkings of bias. But bias is much broader and in many ways much deeper. I've often likened bias. I've got two metaphors. One is, and so either of them might be helpful for your listeners. The first one is as an iceberg. So, you know, like we know about icebergs, 10% above the waterline, 90% underneath. Um, And, you know, so we see things like racism. Mm -hmm. We see things about, you know, sexism and uh, gender inequity, discrimination around disability ageism. We see all these different things, even things like bullying, harassment. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. we see all of these things on the top. But underneath, the thing that is, in a sense, fueling these behaviours and attitudes is our our unconscious biases that we haven't actually looked at. So that's one way of looking at bias, which might be helpful for your listeners. Another way is, in a sense, you flip that. Um, Bias is a bit like a puppet master, you know, Mm. with the strings attached to a person. And, you know, each of the strings is lifting the hands and the legs and the arms and the shoulders. And, you know, each of those are things like racism, sexism. And, you know, when we move unconsciously to the pull of the the puppet master, because one of the things, um, for me, one of the most helpful ways of looking at this was put together by Daniel Kahneman in his Mm -hmm. book, Think Fast and Slow. And Mm -hmm. he talks about two ways of thinking. One, which is fast thinking, which is like bias, where you make snap judgments, things that you Mm -hmm. haven't really... You know, you see someone coming towards you in the street and you make an automatic assumption about who they are and what mm-hmm. they might do to you. That's fast thinking. And then there's slow thinking. That's when you, even in the same situation, and, I, and I'll give a personal example here, as a white woman, if I see a group of dark-skinned young men walking towards me, I have a fast thinking going, you know, a bit of oh, shock. Yeah. Of, oh, yeah. I have to be on my guard here. Now, Mm -hmm. do I know these men? No. Are they going to do anything to me? Probably not. You know, the chances are probably, you know, less than 1%. But they're they're different to me. They're young. They're muscly. And instinctively, I respond with a bit of fear. So what I have to do then is to go into the slow thinking mood and go, yes, I've registered this fast thinking, but no, I'm not going to act on it. (laughs) No, I'm not going to abuse these young men or walk to the other side of the road. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that my instinctive reaction, because these men are different to me, is mm-hmm. to go, oh, no, but my slow thinking kicks in and I go, oh, well, actually, they're probably just uh, young guys out of school. You know, they, they're going down to McDonald's and, you know, it's those sorts of things. It's it's about not allowing the, the, the strings of the puppet master to keep pulling us and making us do the things that we, in a sense, our values wouldn't normally allow us to do that's that's a really good example and i I love how you use the the iceberg example as well as the slow and thinking and the fast thinking Mm -hmm. and that and the puppet master that our biases are actually the root cause of the symptoms of all of the isms racism classism ageism all of those things which is why it can be so hard for people to change. Yes. Because they to to address that 90% of that iceberg that's underneath, it requires a lot of work. It's not a quick thing. Um, and it, it requires, it challenges the thinking. It challenges the perceptions that have been taught literally to an individual from generation to generation to generation. But when we begin that work, you know, when we begin that work, it can address those things that we have some big light shined on, the racism, the sexism, the classism, all of those those different things. It can shine a light, but it, it is so much better to deal with the root cause of a matter than just to peel away at the symptoms, if you will. Right. I can yeah, I completely agree. We must deal with the symptoms because often those are in the structures um, mm-hmm. in our organisations, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's in our governments, in our organisations, in our businesses, we must deal with those things. But we also 
we are fooling ourselves if we think doing that will be enough uh, because we must look at the root cause. Mm -hmm. And, yes, it's a big task. And for me, um, you know, I look at this and go, this is a lifetime task now. Now that I'm aware of the fact that I have bias because I haven't always been um, aware of this is not, you know, not like I'm some sort of amazingly wonderful human being. I'm just an ordinary person who's discovered this for herself and I want to share it with others. Because the thing that I, I was working with some refugees with the Salvation Army back in 2012 and 2013. Mm-hmm. That, that, that would have been the, the Syrian refugees that were? Well, they, they, were, they were from Sri Lanka. Mm. from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran and Iraq. And all of these, and they were largely men at that stage, all these men, here am I, you know, the white-skinned Australian who only spoke English, and here were they, these men from all different colours of brown and black and speaking all these different languages. You know, I'd grown up in the Christian faith tradition and I knew most of them came from Muslim countries. So hugely challenged by Mm. the differences that I saw and became aware of some, some fear in myself and after a period of reflection realised that, you know, this whole thing about differences a threat was an indicator that I had a latent racism. Now that Mm. was shocking for me because Mm. I would have said I didn't have a racist bone in my body. But I just learnt this, you know, unintentionally that was still there. And so my values were that I valued all people. But my biases were saying, well, actually, you don't. You value white people and you don't value black pe- black and brown people as much and you're afraid of them. And this is part of how I think as a human being. That has not gone away. Mm-hmm. Now I know about it. Because, see, yeah. I don't believe we can actually do away with or eliminate our biases because they are like they're an entrenched part of our thinking patterns. However, mm-hmm. when we're aware of them, we can make intentional choices about how we use those biases. And that's where I, you know, went from seeing difference as a threat to seeing it as an asset. And I still, to this day, and this will be ongoing for the rest of my life, I have to pull myself up mm. when my brain goes to a particular uh, thought pattern. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I've mm. been, I've been couple of podcasts have been doing a little bit of work with um, a, a wonderful woman from Ghana. No, no, is it Ghana? Nigeria. I've got a couple mm. of friends in Africa. And when I first met Abiola, I became aware. Like, Abiola has two master's degrees. She Huge, highly educated. Highly educated yeah. woman. My automatic assumptions were, and I, I don't know why, but I was surprised when I found that out. Like, how arrogant is that? But there was this... <laughs> Uh, look, it, it's really, it's really not nice like, that you find out about yourself. But so even as a person who's aware of how my racist bias operates, it still operates and those automatic thoughts come into your mind. So mm-hmm. it's about being kind to yourself because what I have to do then in that space is go recognise that that's where my brain goes. Oh, I get surprised that a person who looks different to me, who's grown up in Africa of all places, could be anywhere near as educated as me, a, a white Australian. Like, but that's the reality. Those mm-hmm. thoughts go through my head. Mm-hmm. But now that I know, I get the choice. Yes. How do I treat this person? What yes. comes out of my mouth? What do I do to myself to say, Bron, you need to adjust your thinking here Mm. you know you need to view this person in a different light and so it's an ongoing process and look i don't think that the things that i deal with are purely restricted to white people um you know i have vietnamese friends who said you know he said oh the vietnamese just think they're the best people in asia so you know (laughs) So, you know, it, it's not it's not just white against black. It, no. You know, it, as you say, it can be within a racial group, as we did about Catholics and Protestants. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's about becoming aware of the automatic assumptions that we make about people and that, challenging them for ourselves. But doing it kindly because, you know, we'll never change. We, none of us are going to change quickly. It's a process. It's a process. And absolutely, it's a process. And the fact that you're able to recognize it 
Like, and I, and I totally agree with you. I don't think that just because of the way the human makeup is that we'll ever totally walk free from certain things. However, we can become very aware of it and recognize the red flags and yes. begin to do differently, you know, so and, and do that within ourselves, within our thinking in that moment. Like, yes. oh, there's that. I guess I still got some work to do in that area because why did my brain go there automatically? You know, <laughs> and that's right. And, and, and begin to, you know, to process that through and have, begin to have totally different conversations. And, and I think that um, one of the reasons, I think that really the work that you're doing it is very necessary because, and with your privilege, you're able to get into spaces and have these conversations with people who think that, no, I'm not, you know, and like you were saying, you did not believe that there was a racist bone in your body, but because of the unconscious biases that were like layered deep within each of us as individuals, then you realize, well, maybe just maybe there is no, no harmful intent upon your part. But when you figured it out, okay, now let me go out and educate someone else about it. And, and, and in that process, help myself because it's not an attack. I think that that is by and large a large problem as to why some people reject this type of training or this type of conversation because they feel attacked in their way of life or their way of thinking. Or like you mentioned that, um, that you realize you have white privilege. You can't change that. But neither is that an attack on you. It should not be an attack on you. You should not feel ashamed for that. But as what you're doing, okay, how can I now take this privilege that I realize that I have and have a positive impact, whether it's in my local community or in my global community? How can I use that? Acknowledge it. Now, how can I use it for good and not for evil? And and that's that's, so true. Yeah. And and that's the thing, you know, um, even for for myself as as an African-American woman, how can I use um, my position for good? and not for evil, and how can I use it to have the necessary conversations and to be a part of the solutions to exposing systems and ways of thinking, but at the same time, bringing in answers. It it does us no good to point out problems if we don't have solutions. Completely agree. And one of the points that I've got to at the moment in my own thinking and in my speaking is to focus on equilibrium rather than merely equity because like equity is good and we use that term a lot whether it's gender equity or racial equity however there's a i think sometimes people feel as though moving towards equity is a zero-sum game where somebody has to lose for somebody else to win that if Mm -hmm. you're going to get equity well then i'm going to have to give up some whereas Mm -hmm. if we look at focusing uh having our goal on as equilibrium it's about looking at what can each of you and I bring to a given situation where, you know, I like the idea of resonance, where we resonate with each other. You know, I have a very different background and life experience to you. That's mm-hmm. just a given. You know, there is nothing we can do to change that. And we have much to learn from each other and to teach one another. And rather than thinking I have to give up something to give you or vice versa. It's about looking at, well, how can we bring this together? That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that we don't have to address the actual inequities in our world, right. you know, where people in a wheelchair are finding it physically difficult to get into a building or, you know, or women, there's still a pay gap. We have mm-hmm. to address these things. We have yes. to, you know, like here in Australia, we have a lot of Indigenous, we have a higher ratio of Indigenous deaths in custody than we do for white people. We have to address those inequities, but it's mm-hmm. about then it's in tandem with that, mm-hmm. we address the inequities, the structures that perpetuate, but we also mm-hmm. need to focus on developing this equilibrium where we can resonate together as human beings, bring all the richness that each of us has you know things I don't. It's just the what that's the way life is. And I can learn from you. You know, and it, it's I like that point of view and, and dealing with our biases is necessary because in order to to have those type of conversations in that way, we have to deal with the underlying biases that cause us to not see one another 
as humans that deserve to have that conversation. Yes. So that look no that matter- is excellent. You have uh, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah, so we you know it doesn't matter our socioeconomic background, our faith system, our uh, economic status. None of that matters. We're humans, and as a human, I deserve to be able to have a conversation. Uh, about my humanity, as well as you having that conversation about your humanity and how us living in this world, how we're impacting one another in a positive or negative light. But if you don't see me as 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 human as you, then you won't invite me to that table to have that discussion, or or you'll invite me to the table because the law has legislated that you do. But you're still not having the complete conversation with me. You're having just a little bit with me and having a larger conversation with other people who you feel are worthy of that conversation. You know, biases, when we're dealing with the ism, the racism, the classism, the sexism, all of that, we could create laws to make all of that wrong and illegal. But if we don't deal with the biases, which become a matter of the heart, if my heart posture doesn't change or my way of thinking about it does not change, then will that law actually work the way that it was intended? Because the people who have to execute the law have a flawed way of thinking. Very much so. Um, and, you know, I think the, the if the pandemic has uh, taught us anything, it's that some people find compliance very difficult. Mm. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> you know, like here in Melbourne, we had lots of lockdowns, but we also had lots of people out on the street protesting about that, yes. regardless of the fact that, you know, there was a virus rampaging through the community. You know, I think you're so right. We need, we, it's, it's like two things in tandem. We mm-hmm. must put in, make the structural changes, the legal changes that mm-hmm. are important, that mm-hmm. are essential to bring the equity mm-hmm. that is needed. It's not that equity is not needed. We do need to put those laws in place. At the same time, you're Mm -hmm. so right. We have to be addressing the biases that have led to that inequity, that have led to those those laws and structures being put in place. Because unless we do, as you say, some people will be compliant to a law, but if if their heart hasn't changed, if their thinking hasn't changed, they will find ways to circumvent the law. With humans are really good at that, you know, pushing the boundaries, yeah. finding the loophole. And, yes. But it will also, because you can't legislate, um, in a sense, around words, the quiet mm-hmm. word that is whispered in someone's ear in the tea room or yeah. leant over the back of the chair. We mm-hmm. can't legislate for the exclusion, the people who don't get on the email list, the people mm-hmm. who don't get invited to after-work drinks. You know, yes. we can't legislate for those things. Legislate and it's that, in no. those areas where bias has that it has been, you know, not addressed, continues to have, um, you know, dramatic and often very personal and devastating consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in, in that conversation today, one of the gentlemen, though, the Hawaiian gentleman asked the question, he said, what is the difference between the unarmed, the many, like during the, the chaos and uh, the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd, there were both peaceful protests and not peaceful protests that took place. But by and large, um, there were loads of pe- peaceful protests that took place. Um, and we're people of all races not just black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people were being brutalized by the police because of the protests that they were having. So he said, what is the difference between the police harming unarmed individuals in these protests and the police um, responding to what happened in our capital riots on January 6th? And that brought in a good conversation for bias. And one of the individuals, one of uh, the individuals said, well, the people at the Capitol were unarmed. But were they? Completely unarmed. So you're saying people were there without weapons or anything, but it's our constitutional right to bear arms. And if you have the proper permits, you can legally carry them. Okay. Yeah. Can you see how your 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 biases and well, that particular gentleman was saying your racism, 
can you see how your racism is carrying your answer? Because the vast majority of people who stormed the Capitol were Caucasian versus the vast majority of the people who initially started with these protests were African-American. But the longer they went on, allies outside of our uh, community began to have a voice and they were suffering the same things that African-Americans were suffering at the hands of the police. So what is the difference? When you have, you know, the answer that this gentleman was, he was trying to show this group how that their thinking was racist in nature and they didn't realize it, even though they were Christian. But yeah. above and beyond that, their biases were in place and not just because of the color of the skin. And I say that because, again, the protesters were not all black, but the bias here is anything that was not of my faith system, was not of my way of thinking, that not follow the letter of the law the way that I thought it should be done. It's different from me, so you're wrong, right? Yes. And the people who were storming the Capitol because they were exercising their constitutional rights, then they should not, the person who was killed by the cop who had you know, infiltrated the Capitol, because that's treasonous, she shouldn't have been killed because she was unarmed. But what about the owner and people who were killed or hurt? And uh, especially he used an example in, in, in New York, there was a protest and there was an elderly gentleman. I want to say this gentleman was like in his 80s and he was walking oh. as a part of this protest and the police beat him up on camera and then they charged him. How is he different than the person that was shot that committed a treasonous act versus this guy? Walking as fast as he could to get away from the police, couldn't get away fast enough because, well, you're elderly. And he was harmed, brutally harmed. That's a bunch of unconscious bias. I'm not saying the individual that answered the question wasn't racist, but they were definitely biased in a lot of areas with their refusal to be able to see the whole picture here. I completely agree with you there, particularly when, well, I think... Of the four main areas, I think, in which people suffer is is with racism, sexism, ageism, and ableism. So disability, gender, age, and race. And on the whole, people don't like to think that they are racist, sexist, that they've got any issues with age or that they discriminate against those who have disability. However, the conversation that you have just outlined shows how deeply seated our biases are and how very much part of our thinking they are. Because if um, someone can say it's okay to beat up and charge a black person walking in a protest. This gentleman was actually an elderly Caucasian person. Like the the older guy. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Sorry, I was assuming he was now, nope. isn't that that's, interesting? See, that was my And that's why I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't know whether this person is racist or not, but their biases in so many other areas had to be leading the thinking because the examples oh, yeah. were two oh, white right. people, a yes. white woman and a white man. Yeah, so you can't, good, I'm glad you highlighted that because I made an assumption about, it's really interesting, isn't it, how our minds work. Um, <laughs> you know, so... Again, there was an assumption from the person you're talking about about the activity that this person was protesting about black lives. This activity here was somehow, you know, sitting here in Australia looking at the footage, you know, because we're watching it in real time. I couldn't believe it. It was like this is like something out of a movie. You know, this is the the central heart of America and here Mm -hmm. were white Americans storming Mm -hmm. the capital it was quite shocking from our perspective but you can say that that's that that's okay again that it's the it's unconscious thinking unconscious attitudes about what's what constitutes right and wrong Mm -hmm. what constitutes acceptable and unacceptable behaviors and i as you say you can't tell whether this person in their conversation was racist, but that the biases around activities, around what people do, around what people should or should not be doing, they will be based in some very long and deeply held assumptions about what's the right thing to be doing. 
Um, and what's, well, from your perspective, what's the American thing to be doing? <laughs> what makes you a good American? Right. Well, that right. is a whole other story. Yes. And, and that's it. You know, the conversation there was they felt like it was their right as an American. They were, you know, challenging uh, the validity of mm. not only just our election, but exercising their right to protest. And but they broke the law. Like they broke a lot of major laws. Hence, we're having the trials right now for these individuals because you, you yeah. just can't do that. And, you know, I don't care how you feel about it. You just you cannot do that. Um, and but at the same time, the protesters who were protesting police brutality and uh, systemic racism that flows to the current Iraq country, they also likewise have that right to protest. And they have that right. And we as Americans, no matter the color of your skin, we have a right to protest. And we also have a right, according to the laws of the states that we live in, to openly carry a weapon while we're protesting. You just do. But the way that we think and feel about one group doing it over another group, where one group is okay to do it and another group is not okay to do it, there's a lot of things we need to unpack about. Because no matter what happens with our upcoming trial, no matter how many people may or may not go to jail, you can't legislate a heart issue. You can't legislate and cause people to address their unconscious biases that may have led them to do some very stupid things. And have a a lot of people that support them in these activities, no matter what they are. We can look at it as something, you know, really small. Again, the issue with you getting your ears pierced. Our unconscious biases have such an amazing impact on our life. And my husband says all the time to our kids, your perception is your reality. Well, our unconscious biases develop our perception. They do. They do. And see, as you were speaking, I'm thinking, okay, the person that you had this conversation with, what I'm seeing is that unconsciously, and they may never have, never admit this, they were thinking that the people who stormed the Capitol actually had a validity to their claim, mm-hmm. whereas the people who are protesting about Black Lives Matter do not have a valid claim. Mm-hmm. So there's, to me, the things that are coming through was that this person, whether they would admit it or not, felt that, you know, Trump's um, assertion that the um, the result was wrong and that the election was stolen. That, in a sense, they were unconsciously saying, "Yeah, I believe that too," because I agree. You know, these people shouldn't have been hurt, whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. they were also unconsciously communicating that actually, black lives don't matter because it's quite okay to beat up mm-hmm. and charge someone who was um, protesting about mm-hmm. the validity of black lives. So we communicate even without saying those words straight out. We communicate what is actually in our hearts. You know, the Bible does say out of the heart the mouth speaks. Not always in plain language, but in just even the little things that we say are right and wrong, are acceptable Mm -hmm. or unacceptable. We Mm -hmm. are communicating so much more perhaps that we realise. And absolutely, that is very well said and that absolutely true you know these types of conversations should be had this in my opinion much more often and in all different space because we should be challenged in our way of thinking and it, and we should be challenged in not right not wrong but challenged to the root cause of why we believe what we believe why are we thinking the way that we're thinking um and how it affects our behavior and our response to humanity in general, you know. Yes. And it's not an an academic or political issue. It's a human issue. Yes, it is a human issue. Yeah, and, um, you know, obviously your listeners won't be able to see what um, the virtual background I've got up here, but, um, you know, I've got the curating courageous conversations to navigate changes in culture because that's what I'm about is having these sorts of conversations. They are courageous. But we Mm -hmm. have to have them. We're going to bring about the changes to our cultures that are needed so that we have equilibrium between people. You are very correct. And I'm going to read that again. So, guys, I hope you wrote that down because that's a good quote. Uh, Curating courageous conversations 
to navigate changes in culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree with you more. Wow, Bron, our time has passed by so fast. We could have a, probably about 10 more conversations off of some of the things that we just, you know, kind of skipped over the surface of in this conversation um, alone, because it really challenges us uh, in the way that we think. And our unconscious biases, they have no, um, they have no skin tone preference. They have no skin tone preference. They have no sexual orientation preference. We can look at different communities and see how within each of these communities that just within our own community, we have biases against one another. Yes. Within, <laughs> within certain communities, like within, again, within uh, socioeconomic with status, you know, individuals who have inherited money, how do they feel about individuals who earn their money? You know, or individuals who were Protestant, individuals who were Catholic, individuals who are Episcopalian, you know, or Methodist, like men and women, or women who are of a, a certain pedigree. I'm a housewife, and you got to go to work, or oh, you're just a housewife, and I earn six or seven figures. Like so many different things. Yes, that's a human issue. It is <laughs> absolutely. Yep, we're all in this together. We are all in this together, and if we continue to work together, curate these courageous conversations that will help to navigate changes in culture, we can grow together, we can heal together, we can learn from one another, and we can be stretched and challenged yes. to create the change that needs to be done. So again, Bron, thank you so, so, so much for being such an amazing guest here on Laquita's Toolbox. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I do thank you so much again for coming. But before we go, is there one last thing that you would like to leave with the Toolbox audience? And your contact information. Yes. Let me not oh, forget I'm that part. Your contact <laughs> information. Yes. Let's let's do that first. You can, uh, my website is bronwilliams.com. So nice and simple. You can email me at info at bronwilliams.com. You can stalk me on LinkedIn. I'm there very, very often um, have a good presence. So they're the three main ways that you can connect with me. And I think the thing that I would leave people with is to, again, come back to the fact that this is not about judgment and shame and guilt. So be kind to yourself and be kind to others as you do this journey. Once you start on the journey of looking at your un unconscious biases, you will not stop. It's not like, oh, I ticked the box, I've done that, my unconscious biases are fine. Um, this is an ongoing journey and you will revert to type. You will fall back into your default ways of thinking. So will other people. So be kind, but allow yourselves to have conversation, first of all, with yourself that you need, and then to have courageous conversations with others. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. That is some amazing words of wisdom there. Listen, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for this amazing episode of Liquidus Toolbox Live. Again, hit those like, share, and uh, follow buttons. I most of all, I want to hear from you in the comments. Can you leave me a rating or a review on your favorite podcast listening platform? Let me know what you think about the tools that we're providing here at Laquita's Toolbox. If you think I'm a rock star, definitely want to hear that. If you sound Laquita, you're kind of failing there and you're not having the relevant conversations. I want to hear that even more because I want to make sure that we're bringing you the conversations that you want to hear about. So if you got some thoughts and some ideas, on some topics that I have not yet discussed, which I need to discuss, send those to me. You can email me at podcast at laquitamondley.com or even more preferred, get in the comment section of your favorite podcast listening platform and leave me a comment and letting me know what you think and how you feel. Look forward to hearing from you. But until next time, this is Laquita Mondley. This has been Laquita's Toolbox and you guys have a great day.